I don't know if you've ever had a, a profound or life-changing experience, kind of a moment, a watershed moment, perhaps, where your life uh, turned around uh, significantly. I think for me, uh, or for many of us, maybe we look back to say a, a wedding for our children, and uh, that's definitely true of myself. Uh, but maybe you've had a moment even in your walk with the Lord, uh, a moment, uh, an epiphany perhaps, uh, where you, you realized in a new sense of love for who he was. Maybe you've never had that. Uh, maybe that's for you this morning. I think Isaiah's vision here in chapter 6 is probably just such a moment in his own life. It's, it's a remarkable vision, isn't it? It really is. And I, I'm, I'm glad that we can sing uh, in Revel- a Revelation song picks up this refrain from Isaiah 6. Uh, because you'll find, if you turn to Revelation 4, you'll find the same creatures around the heavenly thrones saying, holy, holy, holy. And we've joined it as they continue to sing that still even this morning. But there's two main parts here that I want us to think about that I think are so, so applicable for us in our lives. Two big kind of movements in this passage. And the first, the both things that God wants to do. Uh, both things God wants to do. Now, the first is we see God cleanses and he saves Isaiah. And after he's cleansed and saved Isaiah, God commissions and sends Isaiah. So the first part is, is he cleanses Isaiah then he commissions him in a sense. We're going to look at each of those in turn. He cleanses Isaiah as the first part. Take a look at, keep your Bibles open if you have them open. Take a look at the first few verses and let your eyes just kind of scan over them. And look at the details. We get verse 1, right off the bat, King Uzziah's died. King Uzziah's died. Now, I've read this to points in my life. Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. You know? Okay, great. Don't know what that means. Um, but apparently, as I was doing, doing a bit of study, his death marked uh, the end of a time of, of somewhat national prosperity. And he himself was not a godly person, but the, the nation was doing, eh, okay. He had, he had flaunted God's holiness, and he contracted leprosy. Uh, so he was not a great, a great guy. Uh, and, and as we know in Isaiah, remember, a lot of this book is about a message of judgment. The nation is not in good shape, and given themselves to idolatry and wickedness. It's a message of judgment against them, but also a message of hope. And here we are, the nation is in turmoil, King Uzziah has died, they've given themselves over to sin. And yet we discover here, get this friends, we discover here that God, the undying king, is sitting on his heavenly throne. That and he holds he holds court uh, over the seat of human sin and human evil. Uh, this week. Uh, many of us would have heard that the tragic, uh, the appalling news as a gunman entered a church in Texas uh, and killed at least 20 people, uh, wounded another 20. Uh, it's just appalling, appalling, tragic news. As a, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, as they were worshiping our Lord, gunned down uh, in the States uh, just a week ago. Uh, what do we say to that? Uh, we live in a world that is. Uh, full of human sin and evil and corruption. And so, you know, we respond with our hearts and our prayers for them as, as families try to grapple with our, the senselessness of that loss. But I think how much more do we need to then hear these words? That in the mess of our human sin and evil, God himself is still seated on the throne, high and lifted up, He's sure and he's steady in a time of uncertainty. 
we can rely on him. Lack of the mess of our own lives, I don't know about you, uh, the mess that's going on, perhaps in your life, or the way in which you're grappling with your own sinfulness or your own selfishness or the issues that you face in the world, uh, we can rest knowing that God is still king. Even when uh, our world looks like it's falling apart, as it may have very easily for Isaiah at this point. We can put our trust and our hope in him. And, uh, you know, it's funny, reading a passage about worship around the throne room, because our brothers and sisters in the Lord who were, who were murdered a week ago are now worshiping still in his visible presence. Isn't that wonderful? As they're alive with him. Let's think a little bit about that worship. So it's, it's, a, it's a time of, of not good, that chaos in some ways. God is king. And we see this worship. Look verse 2. Above him, above the throne, uh, the Lord on the throne, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. These are strange creatures. Uh, I've never encountered these. Uh, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, clearly, uh, you know, Isaiah's grappling to find language to describe what this is, right? Uh, I think there's almost the limits of human language in some ways. What, what, we, what is this? We don't know. Some sort of fiery, angelic creature. And yet notice, even these creatures, who are very superhuman, are bowing and humbling themselves before the presence of the Lord. Uh, how much more, then, do I need to humble myself in the presence of the Lord? If this thing submits to God, uh, how much more do I need to? Okay? So here they are, uh, Declaring to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this is the first time we run into this word, holy. It's a really important word for understanding our passage. Holiness, uh, it describes God's otherness, his sort of set-partness. Uh, it's not a real word, uh, but there it is. His, his, his power is being the source of all life. Uh, but the fact that he's sort of separate from the rest of creation, it's like he's holy, uh, he's infinite. Uh, it's difficult to explain. But the seraphim are, are declaring God's holiness, his power, his might, his glory. Particularly his glory, which is really interesting, right? They say the whole earth is full of his glory. What's that mean? Well, that's a word that should, uh, if you know your Bible at all, that should kind of give you a flesh go up there, glory. Uh, because glory refers to the manifest presence of God. Uh, it is the same presence that we saw in the cloud of the wilderness for the Israelites as God led his people. It's the same presence uh, as God descends and fills the tabernacle and later the temple. And yet here we're being told that that glory, God's manifest presence, it's no longer going to fill just a physical building. God wants to fill the whole of his created order with his manifest presence. That's a, a startling, remarkable thing to wrap our minds around. That's what God wants to do. God's heart is not to keep you separate from Him. He wants to draw you near to you. He wants to want to dwell face to face with you. And of course, we see this fulfilled in Jesus. What does John tell us in John 1? That in Jesus was light and life, and we beheld His glory, full of grace. And truth. That's a temple presence word. And so, what do you get, right? When Jesus dies, what happens in the temple? The veil splits from top to bottom. What's going on? God saying, No longer is there separation between you and my presence. 
that Jesus' death is that perfect sacrifice which now makes the way for us to dwell together. Isn't that wonderful? When you get to the, at the empty tomb at the very end, as Jesus has declared himself to be the true temple, you get to that old way stone, you realize it's empty. What does that mean? The glory of God has gone out from the temple and is now fulfilling the whole world, just as Isaiah is happening. That's what's going on there in the gospel. Brilliant, brilliant, amazing, life-changing hope that God would fill all of creation so that he could live into a relationship with you. That's the promise God has for us here. But look at poor Isaiah. How does he respond? This remarkable claim, the holiness of God, the grandeur of God, this glory filling the earth. What does he do? Look at verse 5. Woe is me. <laughs> uh, totally, right? I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. These are actually Isaiah's first words in the whole book. Woe is me. Uh, this is not good. Here in God's holy presence, he's thoroughly overwhelmed, isn't he? Uh, by what? By the gravity of his own sin? I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be here. Uh, but also the sin of his nature. I come from a people of unclean lips. And he knows he's not permitted to be there, right? His people are a mess, and he's no better. He's impure. He can't just go waltzing into God's presence. As a very sight of the holiness of God is fatal to the sinner. Fatal to the sinner. And that's why you get so much in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, rules and laws, but how, not just waltzing into God's presence, but treating him with reverence. Like getting sin worked out in your life. And God making a way for people to come and enter into his presence, uh, which he'll do ultimately in Christ. But here's Isaiah, no, I, I can't be here. I'm, I'm done. I will be undone by God. There's absolutely nothing I can do to make myself worthy. There's no amount of good work. There's no amount of shoeboxes I can fill. You know, there's no amount of volunteering that will kind of up my credit with God. Uh, there's no amount of kind of getting, you know, loving enough people so my sort of score goes up in some sense, you know, God's really going to like me if I just kind of do enough of this stuff. Nothing like that. There's no way in which Isaiah or any one of us can change the, this basic reality, which is that I am deeply sinful broken, guilty, impure, like Isaiah. And before God, I can do nothing to deserve his grace and his love and his forgiveness. Nothing, none of us folks, should be allowed to enter into the holiness of God. There's, there's nothing, no help in us at all. Isaiah knows this. He knows it, right? I'm, sin- I'm a wreck, what Isaiah is saying. Woe is me, I'm, I'm done. This is it. But look at what God does for Isaiah. Right? Rather than Isaiah being consumed with God's holiness and undone, God has another plan. He's not going to let Isaiah just be kind of lost forever. Verse 6. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken from Tom, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. What's going on here? Instead of Isaiah's impurity, keeping him from entering God's presence, God's pure holiness comes in the form of this burning coal and it purifies Isaiah. Rather than the impurity stopping, keeping him from God's presence, God reaches out with his transforming presence and transforms Isaiah with it, with his very self. When it comes, folks, between Isaiah's sinfulness 
uh, in God's purity and mercy and holiness. Guess which one wins? God's mercy and holiness wins. Friends, when it comes between your sin, your brokenness, your regrets, your failures, and God's healing and life and love, guess which one wins? God's. God's life and love and healing is more powerful than your sin and your regret and your brokenness. Period. No buts. Period. God wins. God's life and His love is more powerful than your sin and mine. Brilliant. And not only is it more powerful, but God's actually going to transform Isaiah with all of his impurity and all his brokenness into someone who's cleansed and purified. God doesn't just say, yeah, okay, you know, you can stay up there. I'm going to communicate to you from over here. God says, I'm going to draw you right in. I'm going to touch you with my very self, with my very life, and it's going to transform you. Your impurity is not coming and taint God. God's purity is going to come and transform you. It goes this way. That's the direction. Folks, what's that mean for you and me? And I think this is the really, really good news of this passage, that every single one of us is in the same boat. Every one of us has been Isaiah at some point in our lives. Um, it's impossible for us to stand before God in this way. Our sin separates us from Him. That's what's so, that's what's so awful about sin, is it, it cannot abide in God's holiness. And so if I'm sinful, uh, it means I shouldn't be able to abide in God's holiness. Uh, when we say, God, just deal with the evil in the world. God, just wipe out all the evil. That sounds really good until you realize I contribute to the evil every day. That means God has to wipe me out too. It suddenly doesn't sound as good, does it? <laughs> no thanks, I'd like to live. If you find a way to let me live but also deal with the evil, God says, yes. I have a way. I'll deal with you and evil, and I'll keep you alive too. Let my purifying presence come transform you. You don't deserve it. Even though we're full of sin and unworthy, this is the, the, the hugeness of God's love and grace for us. He wants to come transform us. Where does he mean? Where are we names? Make us pure and right before him. Absolutely wonderful. Wasn't that good? Awesome. I need, to, I need to be reminded of this. When I feel so weighed down by my own sin and brokenness that I come back before the Lord and touch me, purify me, and make me whole and right before him, justified before him. I need to I need to remember that. I need to remember that. Friends, Jesus takes your sin and he purifies us by his death, and that purity transfers over to us. What Jesus does at the cross, when we come to him by faith and say, Lord, I want to receive you. I'm tired of trying to reward my own life. I come to you, I surrender to you. Lord, would you be uh, my Lord, I want to accept your forgiveness. When that happens, Jesus becomes like that holy goal. He's the one that comes and transforms us from the inside out. Is that, is that amazing? Friends, if you can experience that today, I don't know if all of you have experienced that. Maybe you felt I've never really, I've never really felt like I've been cleansed from the pure. I really need the touch of that holy goal in some ways, to make things right. And be reminded of that. If that's you, it's a good day to become Christian. Uh, say, Lord, I'm really broken. But God, if you ask only grace, wants to come and give you life and extend his love and mercy to you and, and transform you from a person who's broken to a person who's cleansed and made pure. Uh, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. <coughs>
So Isaiah's vision of this far, this is the cleansing thing. God tells us, look, at sin, sin is not going to separate you from me. I'm going to deal with it. When we come with repentant hearts like Isaiah, when we come with woe is me, God promises to come and enter our lives with his holiness and his glory and his redemption. He's going to atone for our sins. He's going to cover it over and purify it so it has no more power. That's what that means. So God cleanses Isaiah and saves him. It's this, it's this picture of the gospel, isn't it? He's getting this sort of foretaste of what the gospel is going to be all about through Jesus. What God wants to do here in Isaiah, Jesus wants to do for all humanity. And you need to be part of that. You get to participate in that today. You get to be part of that. But that's not the end of the story. Now that Isaiah is cleansed and purified, God actually commissions him, right? So he makes him right. He, he, he atones for the sin, but he says, Isaiah, look, now that you're good, uh, you're actually going to be good to go. I'm going to send you out. There's some things we need to do. And, and look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Now we're in part 2. God's going to commission Isaiah. But look at verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. God's redemption and grace has transformed, woe is me, to here I am, send me. God's grace transforms, I am nothing, I'm broken, I'm worthless, to I'm capable, I can do it. Let me go for you, an earnestness to follow the Lord. Is that wonderful? God transforms Isaiah's fear and guilt to a hope and joy. Then he gives him this message. He commissions him as a prophet. This message is not very uplifting, is it? <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of a tower. Uh, it's, basically, God tells Isaiah, look, as you, as you preach, as you prophesy over this nation, your words are actually going to harden people's hearts. Um, God's going to let the people have exactly what they desire, which is to be separate from them. God's saying, okay, that's what you want? There it is. Okay, there it is. Um, but that's not the whole message. Israel's going to be chopped down like a tree. Did you hear that? That's what I was reading. Look at verse 13. They're going to be chopped down like a tree, and they're going to be burnt like a stump. But out of that stump will come a holy seed. It's like the, it's like the, the shoot, a, a new leaf like a bud coming out of this stump. What's that mean? Well, we actually don't know. You actually don't know yet in Isaiah. Uh, but we're going to talk about this next week. <laughs> so come next week, I'll tell you what the Holy Seed is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but this is the hope that in the midst of all the brokenness, in the midst of Israel, it's not only fell like the creatures that burnt, it's just a stump, it's dead, it's lifeless. But God is going to do something with that dead and lifeless stump. Praise the Lord. God is in the business of transforming dead and lifeless things into a lot of things. Uh, God's not going to abandon Israel, even in all of her issues, and all of her brokenness, and her wickedness. God's love is going to interfere, and there's this glimmer of hope, this future hope. There's a holy seed. Something is starting in the midst of this terrible tragedy that's happened because of Israel's sin. God is going to start something new. God's going to bring about his new life in the midst of that brokenness. Amen. Amen. That's really, really good. So, here's the thing for us folks. Uh, Isaiah is as simple as the next person. But rather than letting 
God claimed that, stop Isaiah from being part of what God wants to do in the world. God transforms Isaiah and then gives him the message. And I think for us, as Christians, there's something really important here to capture. Um, Isaiah is cleansed by God's presence, and now he's commissioned to bring this word right to the nation. But in the same way, friends, as Christians, we can be cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we too are sent out on mission, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the mission now is to live and proclaim the gospel of Christ. Do you see the parallels? Just as Isaiah is cleansed by God and then sent out into the world with this message, so too now are we cleansed by Jesus and his blood to be sent out on mission. Now the parallels are right there for us. So as I wrap this up, I have kind of a couple questions for us. Um, the cleansing that Jesus wants to do in your life leads to action. The purification that God wants to do in your life is propelling you into mission of some sort. Uh, God doesn't just want to sort of save you and then you kind of get to sit there and kind of do whatever. God saves you for a purpose. There's, there's, there's a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. Um, God, God saves and rescues us so that we can participate with him in what he wants to do in transforming our world. That's amazing. We get to, we get to qualify, just like Isaiah. Isaiah really doesn't qualify at first, does he? Not do we, but when Christ comes and transforms us, this moment of grace that removes all of our purity and our sin, uh, we can receive a fresh hope for the mission ahead. And now we might be sitting there going, like, "Well, what's my mission? Like, I don't. What does that mean? Like, I'm not supposed to go preach about burnt stuff, am I? I probably not. No, you're probably not. Uh, <laughs> if you really, unless you really feel like that's what God's telling you to do, let's talk about that. Uh, but it will be. Uh, but what is the mission God calls you to? Isaiah here is being commissioned as a prophet. In which ways has God commissioned you for work in the world? If you're a parent, you've been commissioned to parent well. If you're a spouse, you've been commissioned to love and respect your spouse well. That comes first. That is your primary ministry and mission, is to your family. But then what? Do you have a workplace? Maybe. Are you in school? Maybe. Uh, do you have friends and family? Hopefully, hopefully you have some friends. Uh, hopefully you have some family. Or maybe there's strangers in your life that you interact with, that you rub shoulders with day to day. Guess who you're sent uh, to go and be a mission unto? All those people. You are called, now transformed by the grace of Christ, to go and show his love and his mercy to your spouse, if you're married, to your children, if you're a parent, to your co-workers, to your friends, and to your family, to live out what God's done in you, and bring that message of hope to everyone around you. And not just, uh, you know, kind of like you talk with Jesus all the time, but you live it out. It somehow transforms the very core of who you are. People, when they see you, notice something's different about this person. They, they actually seem to love other people. What is with that? <laughs> What's going on in this person's life? Friends, the way... The way in which we live out the gospel it is our words, yes, uh, but it's also so much in how we live our actions, our business decisions, uh, the ways in which you choose to parent, uh, the ways in which you choose to love your spouse, uh, the ways in which you get to know your neighbor, do you know your neighbors? You know? Uh, the ways in which you engage with the people that come across your path is you living out the mission. Because, friends, just as God wants to come and cleanse and purify your heart like that holy coal, he wants to do that for every single person on earth. Yeah. 
And you and I may be the one who gets to spread that word, to give that message uh, to a person who's never heard before. So there's a great calling and commission here for Isaiah. There's a great calling and commission here for us. And so I want to uh, try to close with this, friends, with these, these two questions for us to reflect on. Is there an area in your life where you need cleansing? Is there an area of your life where you need Jesus, like that holy pole, to come and transform you from the inside out? Uh, God's holy presence, he wants to come and, and live, and inhabit you, be with you, face to face with you. He wants to come and purify you. Is there some area that you need to get back to the Lord? I don't know what that is. Feeling like, I, I don't know. Do you have issues with somebody? Do you have a broken relationship? Um, I don't know. Have you come to objectify others? You see them as means to an end in some way? Uh, you made something into an idol? You, you spend more time, you're more concerned with this or that, maybe your work, or, uh, something else, I don't know. So there's some area that you need to get back to God and, and say, Lord, I need your purity, your cleansing in this area. I need you to transform from the inside of me. Uh, and sit on that. Let that question permeate you. The second question is, Lord, uh, now that I've received your grace and your mercy, thank you for that. Where have you called me to share that good news with others? Just as Isaiah is, is cleansed and saved, just as we through Christ are called to be cleansed and saved and forgiven and healed, and just as Isaiah is sent out uh, to his nation with this message, in what ways, Lord, are you sending me out, filled with your spirit, with the message of your gospel of grace? Who, who, am I, who am I sharing that with? Uh, maybe it's a slow sharing over years. Uh, maybe it's it's just that word of encouragement on the street. Maybe it's stopping to say, uh, can I pray for you? With whatever this issue is we've been talking about right now. Where do you need cleansing in your life, friends? And where is God commissioning you to go? I leave that with you.